Um, welcome, welcome to 5 by 15. Delia Efron is an enormously wonderful screenwriter, novelist uh, of many books. She wrote the fantastic uh, film, uh, which I think probably lots of us have seen, called You've Got Mail. She's the sister of the late uh, Nora Efron, again, another very famous American female writer. Nora died of cancer. Uh, Delia's husband died which is where the book opens. Delia herself carried many of the same genes as her sister. And the book opens on a tremendously dramatic note. And it's hard to know, well, the book is, is also a love story and it's very gripping. Uh, I am now going to talk to Delia for the next 15 minutes about this book. I'll try not to overrun the time, but I will just say about this book that all the way through it, uh, in particular, about three quarters of the way through it, I kept thinking, oh, my God, she's going to die. She's going to die. And then I go, no, she's not dead because she wrote this book and I've seen a picture of her. Uh, but it's that thrilling. And Delia, so can you tell us, you know, you say this begins with the very sad occasion of the death of your long married husband, Jerry, uh, and then pick us up from there and welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, uh, this book is called Left on 10th. I live on 10th Street in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. And Left on 10th is my way home. Uh, and the night that my late husband died, we were, was, well, it was, it's, it's just a very, it's a very traumatic moment because I had done everything I could so he could die at home in his bed, in our bedroom. And I had gotten all the papers, the, you know, you need special forms in this country and everything. So they told me, you know, put it on the refrigerator. And if he falls, just call up the fire department and they'll send the, they're called the EMTs, the emergency people that come over and they'll just lift him up and put him back in bed you know so he fell and I needed him put back in bed and he was he was very sick I knew he was within the last couple of nights of his life and off there were five EMTs showed up and they refused to do what I asked they said no he's under the jurisdiction of the fire department and I'm getting in this crazy night of of Jerry on the floor and me shouting at the five EMTs. And, and then I noticed there were two policemen in the apartment. And I'm thinking, this is way too many people to be in an apartment in New York City. And, you know, I mean, I just could not even believe it. I just wanted him lifted up and put back in bed. And, and I just went on. And finally, I just went, you know, I just started crying. I mean, I started wailing and bawling. And and uh, you have done everything to keep him at home. And well, they got nicer, you know, and I, I, to this day, I wonder if they needed to bully me to tears. But um, and I was even when I was crying, I was thinking, now, am I am I doing this because I know it's the only move left? Uh, but anyway, they did get nicer and they they called up the fire department doctor and he said, oh, just put you know, your husband back, just ask them to put your husband back in bed. And then they did. And then they left. And I was so wiped out. You know, I think you have, I have plans for how it could be, how his death could be. 
And I don't think death is ever interested in what your plans are really. And um, I was so completely zonked from dealing with this that, you know, I fell asleep for the first time, not in the room with him. And because uh, I had a night nurse and, you know, I came up at three in the morning and, and he was, he was gone, you know, and I, I just said it like, um, he's dead. It's just like, it was like they'd beaten me into bluntness, you know, and, and I, I never cried again. I, it was like that whole night, it just sucked it all out of me. Um, anyway, this book takes you on a journey from that night through my year alone and all sorts of very strange things that then happened. I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons I wrote this story, which is about four years of my life when just about everything awful that could happen to me did happen to me, um, was um, that it was such an extraordinary story and there was so much luck and confluence in it and serendipity that it made me wonder about things like miracles. And if luck wasn't another, just another word for miracle. And um, so, uh, you know, I, anyway, go on. What else do you want right. to know here? So <laughs> you talk about uh, miracles. So the book has to start with Jerry's death. Then in fact, the miracle happens and then the kind of anti-miracle happens. So the, the first miracle is, is obviously the contact from Peter. Yes, but you see, everything came out of the strangest thing. I decided I had to disconnect uh, Jerry's landline after about six months. And then I got into a huge battle with our phone company and they disconnected my internet by accident and I couldn't get it back. So I was on the phone with them. I don't know if you have this in England, but the prompts were just endless and I kept getting disconnected and having to call back and go through them all. So then um, I... Uh, I do what I did, which is I wrote a very funny piece about, you know, being on hold with the phone company and missing Jerry. And it ran in the New York Times. And I must say, everyone, a lot of people in this country really hate their phone companies because I got a lot of mail. And one of the letters was, was several months later, I got a letter from Peter. And he is a, you know, Peter is a Jungian analyst, a doctor, psychiatrist who lives in the Bay, he lived in the Bay Area then, uh, which is north of San Francisco. And um, it was just a very strange thing because I had been, just been invited to speak at a conference of Jungians in Texas. And I thought to myself, what's a Jungian? I better meet one and find out. And lo and behold, one arrives in my, in my email. And then the last trip he'd taken had been to Syracuse, which is a falling down place in Sicily. And that's the title of my last book. And not that many people go there. So, and most importantly, really, he had been, we had had a date. We, can, we actually still can't agree on how many dates we had. We had at least two dates 54 years ago, which I do not remember. And uh, 54 years before, and Nora had fixed us up, my older sister. So he came blessed by my sister. And, um, and it was really a pretty amazing thing because, uh, I mean, I had dealt with so much loss and I was so grief stricken. And to be in love was to just suddenly feel the kind of feelings that, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even know they were there anymore. 
So it was like the sun was shining suddenly. It was, it was so miraculous. And it came out of this fluky thing. And then, you know, he flew east. We fell in love over emails. All the emails are in left on 10th. They're, they're all in there um, because the, when I wrote the book, I looked at them and I, it was really how our love story started. And I thought, well, I've fallen into my own romantic comedy. And then four months later, I got diagnosed with uh, AML, which is a, a, a fierce leukemia. And so then the second half of the, then we got, then Peter proposed that weekend that I found out and we got married in the hospital while I was having my first chemo treatments. And, you know, part of what was kind of amazing about this also was that um, I, I got to have many new treatments that did not exist five years before. I just had this great, I mean, that's what I mean about confluence. I mean, I, there was a drug that was just coming onto the market called CPX351 that put me into remission. It, it hadn't even been there five years before. And then I had a very special kind of, a year later when it came back, I had a very unique transplant, a haplocord transplant, which is two people, two donors. Because if you don't have a match, you can get a don donation of a cord blood from a baby, which is very much more adaptable. But you need, you need another donation at the same time because that adult donation kind of keeps your body going while the little baby cord bloods go to your marrow and take root. So, um, I mean, the little stem cells. Uh, so I had all this amazing medicine, but what I really had was Peter by my side. and the journey was really terrible. I mean, it was a really traumatic journey. And my girlfriends, I had my friends, I call them my women warriors. Um, they were there with me too. So when I, I decided to write the book, which was after I survived, which was, I'd been in the hospital a hundred days and, and I had 6,000 pages of hospital records. After I survived, I did think I would write again, but you know, after about a year, maybe even more, maybe almost two, uh, my my writer's heart started beating, and I looked at that and I thought, you just, you know, this is an extraordinary story, and you get to tell it. Mm. So I got to research it. I got to call up my girlfriends and I, and I got to go through all the emails that Peter sent to people in the hospital that were so positive. I couldn't believe that he never said, God, this is hell, because it was, but he didn't. He just maintained this belief that we were going to get out. And so it, there, he's such a hero. Yeah. So the book has, you know, it's such a, I mean, it's, well, of course, I dedicated the book to him, but I mean, he's he's really was a hero. He really did. It was love and medicine that saved me. But it was quite. It was helpful to write the book. I was glad when I was glad I had the story to tell. Was it difficult writing something so personal? No, I mean, that's something I do mm. and I know how to do it. And I knew that. Um, there was no writing this book unless you told the truth. 
and and very weirdly, one of the hardest things to write was because it's also about friendship and dogs and all sorts of things that are happening along the way. And I lost my dog during a time when I was most vulnerable. And um, I could not admit that I wasn't with my dog, that I was on another side of the country for my dog. I had gone to California and um, I was in remission at that moment, but very rocky, feeling rocky. I'm frightened a lot. And I just couldn't get on a plane. I just couldn't, I was just too scared and I couldn't write it. And finally, I just said, just tell the truth, tell the truth you weren't. I mean, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I, I'm telling you everything about my, you know, swearing at everyone in the hospital, tearing my clothes off, doing all sorts of things that my friends told me I, I did. And I write that with no trouble. I get to my talk. And I can't admit that I wasn't there. So I had to admit it. I was very, very touched by the bit about the dog. I, I think I would have been equally uh, unable to say that I wasn't there for the dog at the end, as you were. I, I mean, there are many, many astonishing medical things. I think the thing that absolutely tripped me up was when you wake up at some point and you discover you've got a whole new blood group. That was yeah, that, that's the end. If you have a bone marrow transplant, you're, you know, I was type O blood when I started and then realized after that I was type A. And I was so stunned. And I mean, Peter says that if you change, your marrow is what produces your blood and that's what you're replacing, okay? So it doesn't get more basic than that. It doesn't. And he thinks, well, he's a doctor, but he thinks that it's like a, it's like a, a heart transplant. Yeah. It's just, there's no visible organ like that, you know? So people don't really give it that, you know, kind of credit, but he thinks the journey is as, is as big. It's, oh, I, I would absolutely agree, especially when, yeah. when you read it. So it's so fundamental, the blood that's been whizzing around your body all these years and suddenly yeah. it's kind of joined another ship. And yeah. <laughs> well, you're going just fine. Um, so was it, has it been completely amazing to be able to restart your whole life in your 70s? Yeah, actually, the, the answer to the simple answer to that is, is yes. I mean, I, I live in the same. I'm never leaving Dead Street. I live in my paradise. Um, I love Greenwich Village. I love the world that I live in. I love my building. It still feels like a Greenwich Village building. And, um, you know, with a lot of people in it who are designers or artists or curators, but, but not fancy, not really. And, and so it, it suits me. I mean, I've found where I belong, which I think we should have found by that time. But it is kind of, it's very, look, it's, it's, it was scary. It was scary to start over, uh, but I didn't mean to fall in love. I just happened. And, and I think being out there in life, that's what life is about. Unexpected, amazing things. You, you, if it happens to you, you know, don't run away from it. And, but I was scared and I still am, you know, because I, I lost someone I loved so deeply. And I know that one of us is going to lose the other. And, it, you know, it's, that was hard for me. I, I we really taught, had to talk about it. You know, Peter wasn't as frightened of it as me, but he's not as frightened as I am in general. Well, he comes out of it as a truly great guy. And I think that you're both really lucky. And actually anyone who gets to read this, which has got 
Love and Hope, which you probably can't see inscribed into the cover. It's a fantastic read. I, I can't recommend it enough. I stayed up really, really, really late reading this book, as I say, egging, egging Delia on. Um, well, okay. very very pleased to see that she has such beautiful hair which anyone who now reads the book will understand I'm so pleased uh, that you took the time to join us thank you very much and thank you very much for having me we're just so pleased that you're well and writing again thank you. please keep thank doing you. it so thank you